glad you're here today as we continue our message series. Probably if you're a guest today, you've had people uh, greet you warmly. That's one of the things that people tell me about College Hills all the time that I, I just absolutely love. I love the fact that when people visit this church, they'll say, you were so warm, your congregation's so, so friendly and so outgoing and vibrant, and I, I love that. And more than likely, uh, you've had someone already this morning say to you something like, how are you doing? And a lot of times we'll use that phrase as kind of just a way to break the ice. How are you doing? And sometimes, you know, we really don't know how to respond to that. I mean, are we going to be honest or not? But we know how to respond. Well, I'm, I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing fine. Great, great to see you. And that kind of opens, that kind of, that kind of breaks the ice for a longer conversation. But, but what, if, what if instead of that, someone were to say to you today, well, how's your soul? Well, suddenly that seems like a kind of an odd question in a way. How do you answer that question? How's your soul? And yet really that's what we're talking about in this message series. We've defined soul in this series as that inside eternal, that, that internal, eternal part of you. And we've said all through this message series that that really God has more of an interest in what's going inside of you than the external. But have you noticed we pay an awful lot of attention to the external? I mean, before we leave, we look at the mirror and and we want to make sure we're dressed just right, we're dressed appropriate for whatever occasion that it is. And we pay a lot of attention to the outside of us. And yet, yet God is far more interested in what's going on on the inside of you. If someone asks, how is your soul? What they're asking is, how are you doing in the deepest part of you? And that's really what we're talking about when we gather together as the Lord's people. That's the interest we have. We want to know how we're doing in the deepest places. And so, as we consider the soul today, we understand that God wants our souls to thrive that God created us to have souls that are alive and so a few weeks ago when Johnny preached we discovered that for our souls to really thrive our souls need rest in fact Jesus has an interest in that and so in that very familiar passage of scripture Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 Jesus says come to me and then he says I will give you rest And while physical rest is important, Jesus is ultimately concerned for the deepest part of us. And so he says to us, come to me, I will give you rest. And then he he uses this phrase, which I love, you will find rest for your souls. I don't know if you've thought about that much. Rest for your souls. It reminds me of some of the words from um, David in Psalm 23, that very well-known psalm where as david describes god as a shepherd this god refreshes our souls so i don't know how you're really doing today but some of you may have come into this place feeling a little bit weary well i want you to know that jesus jesus wants to refresh your soul and we said in that that message that johnny preached that in a in a sense that comes through through rest. Now, if I were to point to a key resource in this message series, it would be the book of Genesis, and especially Genesis chapter 2. In this, in this book, 
God shows us kind of his intended rhythm of life. He, he gives us time to work and he gives us time to rest. There's a time to have, have certain responsibility and there's a time uh, to find refreshment. We see that all through the book of Genesis, especially in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, after God created, uh, finished creating everything, it says that God himself rested. And yet there's something else I want us to talk about today that's important for our souls to really flourish. Not only do our souls need rest, but our souls also need responsibility. I know this almost sounds counterintuitive, but here, here's what I want to say today. If I were to summarize today's message in really one line, it would be this. Work is good for the soul. Now, it might be a shock to some of us to learn that work is not a product of the fall. A lot of people have this false narrative in their mind. They think that, that Adam and Eve, they messed up in the garden, and so God suddenly gave them a job. God reasons, clearly Adam and Eve have way too much time on their hands. They've committed this sin, so I'm going to invent this thing called work. You're going to hate it, it's going to be hard, and you're stuck with it. But that's not really what Scripture teaches. In contrast to that, I want us to understand that before humankind ever fell into sin, God created work. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, after God created humankind, the Bible says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, the garden is this place where our souls flourish. The garden is this place when we're ultimately at home with the Lord. And so what does God give us to do for our souls to flourish? He gives us work. Now, work, of course, has changed when sin entered the picture. But let's face it, sin changes everything. Sin distorts everything. And you can read about how sin has changed everything in Genesis chapter 3. But long before sin entered the world, we learned that God himself was busy. God himself was working. And so Genesis 2 and verse 2 says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. How is God pictured in this verse, in those early narratives? God is pictured as, as someone with, with dirt under his fingernails. Now, often we read this passage of Scripture and we felt focus on the fact that God rested. And quite honestly, that amazed us, amazes us. God needed to rest? And yet, rest for God in this passage is more a, a cessation from work. It's more this moment when God looks back at all he has created, and he takes satisfaction in what he's done. God ceases from his work. And yet one of the things we also learn from this passage that I think would have been astounding to first century hearers or ancient readers of Genesis chapter 2, and that is that God worked. In the ancient world, they would imagine, well, well humans work. In fact, God created humans so that he doesn't have to work. But here we see, no, 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 God is one who works. It is a God-like thing to have a sense of responsibility, to 
to engage in work. And so what I want to say at the very beginning of our message today is that long before sin entered the world, God created something for humankind to do. The Bible has a very high view of work. And so in a book like Ecclesiastes, for instance, there are two or three passages there that that talk about the importance of work. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. And then Ecclesiastes 3.13, it says, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. And then in, in chapter 5 and verse 19 of that book, moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. If I were to underline in my Bibles, I would underline that phrase, the hand of God, the gift of God. We see that work is something that God gives us to make a difference in the world, to bless other people, but there's also inherent blessing in, in good work. And yet not everyone sees work in this way. To many, maybe even to some of you in this room, work feels a little too much a little too much like, like, well, work. It feels more like, more like a curse than a blessing. In fact, the ultimate for us is to imagine a time when we don't have to work. We call that retirement. And that's something we're looking forward to. We long for that moment when we experience this time in our life when we don't have to work. But you know as well as I, the truth is, even in retirement, you need something to do. You need a, a sense of... Of, of purpose and mission about life. We've all heard stories about someone who retired and really couldn't find anything to do meaningful with his or her life, and they didn't live very long. No work is important for our souls to thrive, and yet a lot of us in this room find ourselves dissatisfied with work. Maybe you heard of the noted uh, theologian, a guy by the name of Drew Carey, um, Drew Carey once said this. He said, you hate your job? Well, there's a support group for that. It's called everybody. And they meet at a bar. Well, maybe we're not that cynical. I hope we're not. But there are a lot of people that dread Sunday night because they know Monday morning is coming and they know they've got five more days to work. But what I'm saying this morning is our souls need work if we're going to thrive. As we look at how, how the creation was, was ordered, there's a time for rest, but also God gave Adam and Eve a sense of responsibility. There is, think about it this way, there is, there's work in the garden, there's going to be work or responsibility in the new heaven and new earth. We're going to we're going to reign with, with Christ. And between now and then, we're given, giving something uh, to do. And so what I want to do for the next couple of minutes this morning is I want us to, to think about work in a new way. I don't want us to take a Genesis 3 perspective of work. I want us somehow to imagine a Genesis 2 perspective of work. And if we can somehow imagine that, if we can somehow look at work in a fresh or new way, 
we might see that it's a place where our souls can really thrive. And so in order to do that, we first of all need to see work as mission. We need to see work as something given by God to us. Now, these next couple of ideas, um, I'm indebted to a guy by the name of Kevin Kim for these ideas. And he talks about how that if our souls are going to flourish, we need to somehow find significance or meaning in our, our work. You see, we don't merely have a job or even a career. We have a calling. And if, if there's a calling, there must be someone who has called us and that someone is God. You see, if you've responded to the gospel, if you've decided to become a disciple of Jesus, understand you have a bigger purpose, you have a bigger calling in life. Right now, wherever you find yourself, God, by his grace, has placed you there for a reason. You see, there are things that, that only you can do. And there are people that you can only influence, and there are places only you can go. Often people will say something to me like, Kevin, well, I know, I know you, your job as a preacher has a, a sense of, you have a sense of calling about it. Uh, there's a sense of mission maybe about what, what you do. Well, listen, I, I sell insurance, or, or I build houses, or I'm a stay-at-home mom. But what I want to say to everyone in the room today is whatever Whatever you do, see it as a calling from God to serve others for the glory of God. Now John Ortberg, in his book on the soul, alluded, uh, alluded to a research uh, group out of the University of Chicago that listed the 10 least happy jobs or careers and the 10 happiest jobs or careers. And when they compared those, what they found was the 10 least happy jobs actually were more financially lucrative and, and oftentimes offered higher status than the, than the 10 happiest jobs. What was the difference between them? The difference is people in the happiest jobs had a sense of higher meaning. They had less money, less status, but a higher sense of meaning. And so if you want your soul to really thrive, you need to somehow find that greater sense of calling or meaning, that greater sense of purpose. And you know, every last one of us in this room, we can do that. We can find that higher sense of purpose or calling with regard to the job that we do. And so you're a carpenter. You build houses. You're not just putting up trusses or, or installing drywall. No, there's going to be someone who's going to live in that house one of these days. You're, you're providing space for someone to build a life. And you know, because you're a follower of Jesus, that in order to build a life that thrives, in order to have a healthy life, a great life, that life needs to be built ultimately on Jesus. And so maybe you're putting up drywall in the kitchen. As you're doing that, you're, you're imagining a kitchen table. And you're imagining a family gathering around that table, having significant conversations. And maybe at that moment, you begin to utter a prayer for that family. Oh, oh God, would you bless this home? 
would your name be glorified in this place? Can you see how that you can begin to see your work from a much higher perspective? You're not just building a house. In a sense, you're involved in a process to help people build lives. See, in our work, we need this sense of mission and and calling. There are people that you're going to see in your work uh, who are going to be struggling with anxiety. Uh, You're going to meet people in your work who are going to be struggling with raising kids, and, and they're seeking wisdom in that. Uh, there are people uh, that you're going to come in contact with who are going to have money struggles and, and money issues, maybe people asking big questions about God. And if you could see yourself as a missionary, see yourself as a minister put in that situation to reach people and, and bless people for God. You see, all too often we have this, uh, we have this dichotomy. We think, well, Sunday, it's all about God. Sunday's all about worship, and it's all about talking about God and and hearing a preacher talk to us about God. But Monday, well, it's far different. Monday is my day. Monday, things go back to normal. But I want us to see work in a different way. I want us to see that every one of us, we have a sense of calling, not just your preacher and not just elders and not just ministry people, but regardless of where you work, it is a, you are called men and women to make a difference in that unique situation but we not only need to see our work as as a mission we also need to see our work as an opportunity for spiritual formation or discipleship dallas willard has an interesting perspective in this regard he says the primary place where discipleship occurs is not church it's not even in your small group it's it's not even um that 15 minute devotional time you have first thing in the morning when you meet with God Willard says something fascinating he says the primary place where discipleship occurs is in the relationships we have at work or in our schools he wrote a wonderful book called The Divine Conspiracy and here's what Willard writes he says once you stop to think about it you can see that not to find your job to be a primary place of discipleship is to automatically exclude a major part, if not most, of your waking hours from life with him. It is to assume to run one of the largest areas of your interest and concern on your own and under the direction and instruction of people other than Jesus. Then he makes this statement, which I found interesting. Most professing Christians are left today with the prevailing view that discipleship is a special calling to do chiefly with religious activities and full-time Christian service. Willard pushes back on that. He says those environments that help us to put into practice faith, that, that help us form into the image of Jesus, are our workplaces and our schools. And so, for instance, think about where are you going to learn to develop patience? Well, I like to think that sermons are good and that you're going to hear wonderful things about learning to be patient in a sermon. Can I get an amen on that? But quite honestly, you know as well as I that that you're never going to learn to be patient until you apply that, until you put it into practice, and you're going to have all kinds of opportunities to do that in your workplace. You learn patience by dealing with an overbearing boss or by struggling, struggling in a work crisis where where do you learn to love even your enemies by dealing with a client that's making life hard on you the second thing we learn about 
about work that helps our souls to thrive is we need to see our work as environments where we learn to be disciples of Jesus. And one final thing. We need to see work as mission and work as an opportunity for discipleship, but ultimately we need to see work as worship. Now, don't hear me say that we're to um, worship our work. Too many people do that. Far too many people make work an idol. And you've heard my definition of idolatry before. Idolatry is when lesser things become ultimate things. When we make something that's lesser ultimate, we're committing idolatry. Suddenly we're worshiping that instead of worshiping God. There's only one place for worship, and that is, that is God. We worship Almighty God. And when we approach work that way, and, I, and I've seen, you have too, You've seen men and women who make work an idol, and as a result, they, they devote everything to their work, all their time, all their, all their energy to that. And ultimately, that drains us. And when we see it like that, our souls don't thrive. We don't worship our work, but work rightly understood becomes a platform to glorify God, a platform to worship. Here's what I mean by that. Our scripture reading today was Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. And Paul says there, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as serving the Lord. And since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Notice he says, whatever you do, you're to to work at it with all of your heart. It sounds like worship language in a way. We're to worship the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love God in that way. But notice what he also says. The last line where he says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We're serving God, glorifying God through our work. So whatever it is you are doing, whether you're... um, preaching a sermon or selling insurance whether you're involved in heart surgery or heating and air repair whether you're going on a mission trip or going on a sales trip understand you need to see what you're doing as a way to glorify God and then that phrase where he says it is the Lord Christ you were serving I want to say something that has the potential right here to revolutionize the way you look at your work and how you how you perform your work if I understand that line correctly it means we serve our employer with the same intensity we serve the Lord we understand our boss is not ultimately the CEO our boss is God it is ultimately God whom we are serving it's an old story and yet it makes a powerful point man once walked by a construction site building this incredible, incredible structure. And he, he saw a group of stonemasons. And he walks up to the first stonemason. He says, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm, just, I'm just chipping away some stone. He looks at the second stonemason. He said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm working on putting up a wall. And finally, he looked at the third guy. And he said, so what are you doing? And he smiled and took a step back. He said, I'm, I'm building a temple, a cathedral glory of God when you see your work as a way to bring glory to God then it will change everything 
about it. When we look at our work in this way, I'm convinced our souls will be satisfied. So the question I ask today is, how's your soul? Your soul needs rest in order to thrive. Your soul needs responsibility or work, good work, in order to thrive. And next Sunday morning, we'll look at the third thing that the soul needs to really thrive and flourish. I want to tell you, God wants your soul to thrive. God is concerned about what's going on inside of you. And so this morning, you might find yourself far away from God. This morning, you've, maybe you've never confessed your sins and, and been baptized in Jesus' name. Friends, what I want you to understand is when you trust Jesus, it's then that your soul comes alive and it changes everything.